Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start, Start saving, saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. You're just too good to be true. <laughs> Can't take Whoa, my looking eyes right at me. off Thank of you. You'd be like even to touch. Oh my god, he's Australian. Australian. How do you know this American high school? I feel like I'm upside down right now. No, that is love as right. The nothing god I'm alive. I think it's the lobster crab from Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid, I think, is now what we're dealing with. Now you're Brooklyn. Kiss the girl. All right. Today we're doing. you, Jackie. Oh my god, is that what he Ledger saying Is that to what me? he's saying? Maybe. Welcome to Ten Things I Hate About <laughs> You. Oh my God, Heath Ledger in this movie. A coming, a coming, a coming, a coming. We're gonna. I'm sorry. It seems appears we're going to have another hormonal. Um, Sexual awakening episodes. Yes, I love these. They're so fun. One of us has it. I, I uh, one of us has it. Every episode, I feel like one of us has some kind of sexual connection Yo, to the woo. episode. This time, it's definitely Jackie. If you can hear those dog noises she's <laughs> <that> making, <laughs> um, also right. I will say David Crumholtz. Y'all know if you listen to my other things that uh-huh. David Crumholtz is a soft spot for my loins. Sure. Oh, sure. And very mostly because of the Santa Claus. But we're not talking about the Santa Claus. Right? Oh, Oh, so no. that's gonna be Adam's family values. Uh-oh. Oh, mamma mia! Yeah. I am horny. Wow. Well, we're doing a little bit of an earlier episode today, so that might make sense. Got we a little all bit know of that. that Jackie's hornier in the morning. morning. I'm horny in the morning. I'm morning hornies. Yeah. I got my mornies going on right now. Right. And I will say, now that I am watching it as an adult, can we just start off this by saying that Mr. Morgan, I think, was the hero of. 1999 movies sure because the line of i know how difficult it must be for you to overcome all those years of upper middle class suburban oppression must be tough but the next time you storm the pta crusading for better lunch meat or whatever it is you white girls complain about ask them (laughs) why they can't buy a book written by a black man that is just a line in this movie i know i I pause it and like and clap yeah. That's, that's great. That I didn't is, even realize that when I was watching this when I was 14. For sure. And I mean, that was rare 
the time for that yeah. to be addressed. It also they also address <laughs> cultural appropriation in a yes, very like early way with the uh, white boys with the dreads with the and the Bob Marley yes, love. Yes, very much so. I, yeah, but so that's did fun. it zero in on it because you also noticed they're still only you know not as woke as we wanted to be. Only one black character, oh, well, two black sure. characters, in the movie, and one of them is of them very evil. She's the villain. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Bitchy. But she wins in the end of the day because she uh, looks pretty much exactly the same now, Gabrielle Union. God damn, she so, looks yeah. honestly better now I know, than she right? did when she was a teenager. For real. And Andrew Keegan, the poor Ooh. man that Ooh. was just put into a box in the 90s of just being just a yucky dude. He was yucky in almost everything. Yeah, but then he started a cult, so yeah. it, it seems like that was the correct yep, choice. Yep, it started for him, but you know what? Sometimes you just gotta start a cult, Jared Leto. I guess so. And uh, But today we're talking about 10 Things I Hate About yeah. You, pre-cult Andrew Keegan, pre-death Heath Ledger, oh. and he was so hot. He was and also an amazing actor. I just, oh my god, but the hair yeah. and the smile and the fucking clothes and the and accent. The I'm gonna say the accent, the accent is Mama good for me. Mia! Yeah. Here I come again. And this is the thing, and so, you know, you were talking <laughs> Sorry, about how... I had to say it. This definitely fit in the category when you were talking about trying to get Jeff to watch it with you. This definitely fit in the category for me growing up where it was like, A, I was maybe, maybe slightly older for it, but also it was definitely the oh, this isn't this isn't for me. This is like a girl. One of those. Oh, yeah, girl it's a girl. Girls. That was definitely a girl movie. But, you know, in, in that era, as a Shakespeare nerd for Shakespeare nerds, I definitely uh, could have gotten down on it. I think in that sense, I don't even think I knew it was based on Taming the Shrew in its original release. But uh, yeah, come come to find, it's quite a charming film to watch. I think now everybody around this age group can look at one of these films and whether or not you are into romantic comedies or not, anything like that, just now it's this time capsule oh, yeah. piece where I just remember all these things about high school fashion, high school, the way people acted, the popular music of the time. I loved Letters to Cleo, by the way. Oh my God. My brother had one of their albums and I absolutely loved it and I was like, oh my God, Letters to Cleo, I totally forgot about them. And uh, was so listening good. to them. And that Great. was also the heyday of doing punk-esque covers of songs. Oh, we don't all get me started on this. Yes. We all oh my god, a million the of them. Of this is this is when that I when I was younger when this came out and I was very disinterested in all of this at the time. I love teen movies now, but uh it it does the one thing that makes me more enraged than anything, which is the faux rocker mm-hmm. culture where you just don't do any research about what kids who actually are rebels do uh and also it's it's ironic because then julia styles also does the other thing that infuriates me in save the last dance which is not her fault but with the uh the dancing the worst, on the table scene oh that that because that's that great. is what got her I know. cast in save I was the last thinking dance, about literally. that it is so actually oh, what really? got her cast yeah, yeah. i made a joke dance. about that when i watched it but it's true great yep um <laughs> It's not her fault. Whoever did Save the Last Dance did not do any research about how to make people look like they're actually dancing and her body double work is is horrendous. So she gets to do both things that infuriate me yes. in this time period. What about starting the movie with the bare naked ladies? How does that infuriate I love you? that. <laughs> okay, it's great because Again, just lo- I love that energy. Like I was just like, "Yes, let's yeah. go. Let's go back to this time period." And they immediately do the thing where they show you she's different cuz she's listening she to Joan, Joan Jett instead. She listens to But Joan she's Jett. just like exactly she's pulls up just another 
beautiful model-esque blonde girl who oh yeah but she yeah, has yeah, a different yeah. radio station on and that radio station is playing Joan Jett. Yeah, it is. And her, she's friend, friends with Maureen from Center Stage. Who, so you know who, that she's a bitch. By the way, ironically, again, I don't know if it's ironic, but she uh, is in one of the best body double dance movies, Center Stage, which they did a fantastic job of blending the dancer with the actor, which they did not do in Say the Last Dance. No, they did not. No, they did not. <laughs> But 10 things I hate I know about you guys you are is- slowly close. You guys are guys like slowly yes. closing I, like you don't care. I could care less no, about body double dancers. Care. But I do care about 10 things I hate about you, a 1999 <laughs> romantic comedy film directed by Gil Younger and was a breakout film for the young actors Julia Stiles, Heath Ledger and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and also starring Larissa Olenek. But uh, she didn't quite uh, have this explosive career that the other three but she did. She was everywhere. She in was the everywhere, 90s. Yeah. and she still is. Yeah, yeah I actually did. You guys stuff. look into her at all? Because it was interesting to see how her career went. She's she's mysterious. She doesn't do social media, but she still acts now all the she's time. Still That's awesome. She's still doing it. I love when there. people can hold it down like yeah. that. Yeah. It was written by Karen McCullough Lutz and Chris Kirsten Smith and is a modernization of William Shakespeare's comedy play, The Taming of the Shrew. The Taming of the Shrew. Set in a 90s American high school, and it is about a new student who immediately crushes on a girl, but in order to get around her father's strict dating rules, he tries to set up his bad boy buddy with the girl's ill-tempered Sister, and yes, so this was definitely not a movie. Real, I mean, it was on my radar for sure, but I definitely didn't watch it until the uh, preparation for this episode, and I was quite charmed by it. Absolutely, I think it's very funny. Taming of the Shrew, which we're about to get into, obviously comes with its own set of issues uh, for sure. It's this funny. It's like one of the more problematic, famous Shakespeare plays, I would say, uh, that that has not necessarily uh, withstood the test of time. Though I will say, in terms of Taming the Shrew, and I think I talked about this in our Romeo and Juliet episode, like weird Shakespeare. It was tongue-in-cheek. In that the was the, yeah. it, it, Like, even back then, yeah. the idea of the Shrew yeah. was based in, like, it was a, it's supposed to be a joke yes. of, like, oh, this shrew uh-huh. who speaks her mind. But even in the, the play, she's not even speaking her mind. She's kind of also awful in the play, yeah. but she doesn't deserve what is, it's supposed, it's, it's a jape. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's a, a jape. comedy. Like, that's, so when people are like, ah, it's misogynistic, it's like, fucking, <laughs> like, that's the joke. That's a part of it. Well, right. I, I saw a production of it at the Globe Theater, which was went down as one of the greatest Shakespeare performances I ever saw live. And they really made it come to life in this really charming way. And I think they make it come to life in a really charming way here as Mm -hmm. well and I think the trend of the time especially after Clueless was let's get these old properties and update them in a modern day high school and see what happens and they this is the the Kind of the second wave of that that, that yeah. Clueless started. Yes. But I think one of the better examples of an application of an adaptation to a modern, of an old classic work to a modern day. High totally. School. And yeah. also because they all went into it wanting to not just make a teen rom-com. Yeah. And that was something that like all of them, like even when Joseph Gordon-Levitt was talking about going in for the audition for it, he was just like, I don't want to do a rom-com. This is not what I want. And Heath Ledger came in and just... He brought such a higher level of yes. acting into it that everybody 
rose to his level. And that's so insane. And not in like a weird way, not in a way that like reading about them making this film made me want to be on a film set so I badly. Know, I know. I haven't me acted sad. in such a long time that I was like, man, that camaraderie, that feeling of like, fuck yeah, we're making something cool together, guys. Yeah. That, that that's why that Julia Stiles performance, not that she's even like in a lot of the other things, I feel like she was given more softballs yeah. in other movies that she's done. But like she rose to the fucking occasion. And also she got to stop Heath. Legend. Yeah, and if you watch the uh, the bloopers during the credits roll, very horny set. All of the pranks are just them all pretending to kiss each kiss other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, no, they're all... Stuff. But they just seemed like they had a summer of fun. Summer, oh, it seemed it was, like a blast. If yeah. you ever did, like, a summer stock or a this kind of thing, yeah. yes. like it definitely had that vibe to it. Very sure. Like that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was nervous about kissing Larissa Olenek because... He, like they were friends at that point and so they would rehearse the scene and by the time they had to kiss they're like oh Jesus okay I mean I imagine it would be like me having to kiss you Holden right, like I can't right. even imagine be like, horrible uh, uh, be a nightmare nightmare <laughs> <laughs> fucking nightmare so let's talk about the taming of the true for a second uh, Shakespeare's play is about the courtship of Petruchio and Katerina a headstrong shrew which is a comedic stock character in literature and folklore that depicts an unpleasant, ill-tempered woman characterized by scolding, nagging, and aggression. Wow, yeah. wow Holden, looking right at both of us. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, what we do. A more uh, modern term for this archetype would be maybe battleaxe or dragon lady <laughs> or arpy. Dragon lady. Initially, Katerina is an unwilling participant in the relationship. However, Petruchio, quote, tames her with various psychological torments, such as keeping her from eating and drinking until she becomes a desirable, compliant, and obedient bride. I will say wow. it is very similar to the play. Zoinks. And some of the differences is that in the play, he, like, Petruchio is so interested in money, which, of course, is Patrick, very similar. Patrick Verona, don't know if you can catch it. Um, wow. That Patrick also does what he does for money, uh, and Petruchio is in it for the dowry and the status. So at the top, rather than just going on dates, he straight up marries the shrew and then falls in, they fall in love after they get married, after he gets his dowry, after they're all nice and rich. So also the class systems in that are portrayed in the movie, which I feel like mm-hmm. they don't even get into it too much except mm-hmm. For cars, uh, which I found interesting mm. that outside of that, because you notice like they're not really outside of like Bogie Lowenstein, they're not really showing a whole lot of people's houses. It's obvious that the sisters are well off. Man, that's and a nice house too. Yeah, it's, it's a fucking great. That's, house. that's a that's a wraparound porch I'd like to. Have. Oh my yeah, god, yeah. that's what the sad thing watching movies now as yeah. an adult. I'm like, oh, I would love to sit on that. Porch. Oh, the real estate. <laughs> oh, and so that is a big difference between the two. And uh, but other than that, it is. Straight up, very, very similar. Except that the idea of the definition of the shrew is now updated of just a bitch who listens to Joan Jett. Yeah, and she's got things to fucking say. A real fucking dragon lady, if you ask this guy. But actually, just not really, because then, then when she goes to what's it called, the skunk. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, it's Getting just, at the skunk. Yeah. It's just frail, <laughs> supermodel, blonde, white women all in one club together. I guess no men go to a club where a woman's singing. Yeah. Lilith Fair uh, Club. Yeah, it's like the Lilith Fair like embodied. So she's not actually rock and roll. She's like an ang. She's more 
angry. She's angry. She's angry about, about her trauma, which is weird to think of now as an adult of having gone through that kind of shit. It's like, oh, man, all that shit makes more sense now because she was fake. angry. I mean, she was real angry. But like even what Mr. Morgan brings up up at the top of like, but you have every like your life is not that hard. Yeah. Why are you so right. angry? Yeah. It's like, oh, because of what she went through. So, so wait, she I, I was originally watching it again and I was thinking it was a, the old uh, dead mommy, but. It's mom left. Mom left. Mom she walked. So out. that's also okay. like that's another thing of like yeah. how angry. So it's like the fact that like her sleeping with Andrew Keegan and her mom leaving. Yeah, and I feel like that that is a whole other trauma that kids. That's a very different. That's kind very. Of trauma. I mean, that's horrible. I wonder what her mom's doing. That she yeah. peace, and you also got to think like when her younger sister was in middle school and she was what a, a sophomore or she a said freshman? ninth. Yeah, she lost she was yeah. a freshman. Yeah, and like that she would just peace the fuck out. Like that's. That's traumatic like, as yeah, fuck. right. Especially go, you know, definitely going into this, I'm like, uh, I thought, you know, yeah, you, you're gonna watch this like '90s high school movie. You're like, oh, she's just gonna be that, a bitch, like for no, re- you know what I mean? Just she's just this thing, and then and then it's like, no, there's like re- actual real motivation, and that motivation came from a script Whoa, written by Kristen Smith and Karen McCullough. Kristen Smith grew up on a sailboat without a TV, so she spent a lot of her childhood writing like, an adventure. Like you do. Like you do. And eventually she worked as a clerk at a video store, then moved to Los Angeles to study English and film at college. She actually used screenwriting as a way to financially support her poetry career. She ended up uh, working at an indie film company as a director of development where she read a ton of scripts, which is how she met Karen McCullough, and the two end up forming a creative partnership together. Uh, McCullough was an army brat that, uh, McCullough rather, uh, was an army brat that traveled all over the world through childhood. While in high school, she kept a diary, and in it, she had an entry titled, 10 Things I Hate About Anthony, Anthony. which was her boyfriend at the time. McCullough said, I had a boyfriend named Anthony that I was frequently unhappy with. I made a list called Things I Hate About Anthony. Anthony is very proud of that fact. We are still friends today, (laughs) and even now and then, I'll get a random phone call in the middle of the night. My nephew doesn't believe that this title is about me. Tell him on the phone. I'm like, yes, I hated Anthony in high school. <laughs> she uh, she joins a sorority in college, and this would actually later provide a lot of material for her other fantastic films, House Bunny and Legally Blonde. Oh, Which I love is, House yes, Bunny. So House Bunny's and great. Legally Blonde, obviously. Legally is Blonde's well. also. That's great. what I love too is that the, for both of them writing together, they say, "I think our legacy is just these fearless, funny female characters who are sort of radical by their confidence. They're changing the world, even though they don't really know that they're doing it." And also, the way that they wrote this movie is insane. They were writing separately and like the only times that they would get together when they were writing this movie was on a beach in Mexico when they had started writing the script on a cocktail napkin. Yes. And I Sounds just... Sounds like they had a real fun time. <laughs> fucking... They're just like... I, they're just like drink, literally drinking cocktails yeah. on the beach. Just like, yeah, let's write this fucking movie. And apparently bitch. they like beat out the plot like on, on the beach drinking margaritas. Uh, At a timeshare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you should try doing that more. I know. Where is... 
is LPN's Mexican timeshare. Please, we need to get on top of this. Kristen Smith said, there was such a big teen movie explosion at the time. We were young writers who had never sold a script before, and it was very unusual you would get your first script made, let alone greenlit six months after it was optioned. It's it, crazy. That is actually crazy. It had this yeah. feeling all around of firsts. And of course, yeah, they, they're seeing what Clueless is doing. They're like, we can totally do that same thing. I also enjoyed this line uh, when someone was comparing Clueless and 10 things um, that where Clueless chooses to embrace and massage the moral of a man who teaches her a lesson about herself by making everyone involved ridiculous, 10 things decides to turn the anger of Shakespeare's heroine inward in order to grapple with his misogyny head on. Like mm. watching the back to back, there's so many like theses out there comparing Clueless with 10 Things I Hate About You because it is, and which we'll get into with the costuming later, it is a more grounded version, mm-hmm. which of course, it's still a teen movie. There's still the huge bogey Lowenstein party and all that kind of shit, but it is way more grounded in reality, whereas Clueless was more bombastic, mm-hmm. and both are so much fucking fun in very different ways. Yeah, and they do have that, both have that, op- well, not not both opening, but that scene where they're like, this is where this group sits, yes. and that's yes. where yes. the other yes. one sits. Totally. totally. In fact, I felt like that was was in a way a little off from the rest of the film. It was, yeah. Because I think they really did get away from the high school movie tropes in a yeah. lot of ways throughout this movie. They almost busted that out right away yeah. in the f- top of the movie, but it was interesting. To kind of was- bring you in almost, to kind of trick you into thinking you're watching just yes. another right. fun high school movie, and then but with they boy- take it to It was direction. boys this time, which is interesting, yeah. and, and uh, but they did the same like walk and talk thing, yeah. and it was very... But also, I think that it is the idea of like the, the um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt character was one that I think was always shown as just, like, such a war. Like, the Ducky, where I feel like Mm. Ducky was never given any kind of respect, and I love that Joseph Gordon-Levitt brought a realness of, like, no, I'm not just, like, this desperate loser. I am a full person. I just happen to be younger and not Andrew Keegan. Uh Yeah. You you know? For sure. Definitely not my cup of tea, uh, sexually speaking, mm. but I get people love him. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I was more like Third Rock from the Sun, though. That's what I, I was. love Third Rock I from the Sun. It's a great show. A great show. Great job. I, that is such an underrated. I would watch it every with my dad. And we were like, "Why is no one talking about the show? This is the best show on TV." It's oh, amazing. I used to watch that all the so time. Like, it's on Hulu now. John I, Lithgow. I yeah. So good, Jane Curtin. Ah. Oh. I love Stuart French. All right, here's the case. I think it's French Stuart. French. I think it's French Stuart. It's French Stuart. I mean, those are interchangeable. Though. Regardless. No, I used to call him Stuart French because I wanted to French him. Well, that was, I was 11 years old and I wanted to have sex with French Stuart. And we, we, named, the, we named out the cast of Third Rock of the Sun on purpose because now it's time to talk about the cast. Of 10 Things I Hate About You. Whoa, that was the perfect segue, I thought we were going to talk about you. the director. But wait, I, I didn't want to talk uh, yeah. about The Rock from the Sun more. There is the director. Because I, uh, I really appreciated that she was a tall woman in the show. <laughs> yes, that was a very yes. good part of, the, of it as well. Uh, yes, the director, I will quickly say, uh, this was Gil Jung- Jungers. Jungers. Is it Junger or Younger? I'm going to say Junger. Younger. Junger. Gil Junger's <laughs> directorial Junger. debut and his most known work. However, he did go on to direct a slew of movies and television, including episodes of Blossom and Ellen. Junger's said, I had no interest in doing a typical high school film. I wanted to do a romantic love story, but at the urging of my agent, I read the script. I loved it. The depth of it surprised me. It really is a romantic love story. The plot is beautifully interwoven, and the humor works because it comes from the characters. Well, and what I love, too, is that the 
the script was like after it got picked up, it landed at Disney. And the choice between the teen movies that Disney was going to choose that year was between 10 things and a script called School Slut. And um, so yeah. they did a rewrite, and what? Disney, yeah, 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 Disney didn't understand why Cat was such an angry character. Mm. What? And, Wait, hang on. <laughs> yeah, you can't yeah. just slip past that. The school slut. What? What? Whoa. There was a script called School Slut. Surprisingly, we, it got passed on. Did we? Have we ever seen the script? No. Unfortunately, no, 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 unfortunately no. we we're backing up the truck for for a dead end. There's not a whole lot there's else. No, on no it. there's nothing on School I'm Slut. I'm sure it's so were, bad that they just they were upset that Julia Stiles' character was. was too angry, mean, but, but they, were gonna... they were almost making a movie called School Slut. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today oh yeah yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. just and, checking <laughs> uh, Smith said all teenagers are angry and McCullough added they didn't understand sometimes as a teenage girl you're just angry at the bullshit you have to put up with yeah. Yeah. so now that they're working with Disney Disney executives were gently encouraging Junger to cast the Dawson Creek stars they wanted the entire movie to be cast with Dawson Creek they wanted James okay. Vanderbeek and they wanted Katie Holmes and uh, they were really mm. pushing him but Junger was like my mantra was I'm not going to shoot a high school movie I want to shoot a movie about people in relationships who happen to be in high school so he wanted to separate himself from a show that was just about teenage relationships I would also add like I, you might probably are going to talk about this but I think David Crumholtz added a level of um, adult not like sexual but like a, yeah. a, a level of um Maturity, maturity in a weird yeah. way. Well, it's kind of funny you say that because ha- I'll say the quote later. But even Joseph Gordon-Levitt said, "Like I, I started talking like him, and by the end of this of the shoot, everybody in the cast was talking like an old Jewish man from East <laughs> New York." So I think yes, that that is uh, another just quote to go along with. There's he something old. Yeah, yeah, there's this funny older sensibility about him. That's yeah, what, that's what his <gasps> really his comedy comes yeah, it from. Gets my pants. His, yeah, Juice, his comedy y'all. comes from being this very young looking guy and and talking and acting that's like an true. old. That's true. Yeah. He does Jewish that in Anthony Values too. East New York. Yeah, yeah. Same with the Santa Claus. That yeah. was his thing. Totally, that's his thing, and it's so charming though. It like totally it is. works. It's uh, very cute. So um, I love Jewish men. Can you tell? Yeah. Thank you. So for the cast, we start off with Larissa Olenek. I remember being pretty smitten with it right away. The script was unabashedly feminist and really of the Riot Girl era of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, but they didn't use any real riot. Ola Nick no. was raised in the San Francisco Bay Area and got into auditioning early, first acting in a production of Les Mes, Les Mes Rabla. In 1989, at just eight years old, and after that, she was taking Which action means class, she was probably classes. Cosette, and that makes yes, sense. Sure, yeah. absolutely. And going on more auditions, 
with her first TV show spot on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman at the age of 12. Damn! She got the starring role the same year on a Nickelodeon show called The Secret World of Alex Mack. Oh, yeah. So good. So, yeah, what's the deal with Secret World of Alex Mack? Give me the skinny. Wait, you never watched it? No, I think I was, again, a little too old. No way! Henry was obsessed with Alex Mack. I don't know. Oh, yeah. never watched it. I also didn't have cable upstairs. And you know what? Sometimes when you're a child, if you don't have cable upstairs, you end up missing out on, like, a whole chunk of Nickelodeon television. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This was, like, (laughs) primetime snick. That's show. the thing. Oh, exactly. Friends. They were watching. They had the, the they TV had during shows. prime time. They had their shows. You weren't allowed to watch Snick? They were watching the sporting matches during those oh, hours. Oh, I hate the sporting matches. I did too back then. That's why I hated sports till like, like after college. She turns college. into a puddle. Well, she becomes <laughs> sort of like, remember T-1000 in Terminator 2? Sure. She becomes a puddle. Basically the same thing. But she, she I don't, I forget why she does. <laughs> But uh, it was like an experiment. She touched something and then she would yeah. puddle. She was she like, when it, was, the door. it was one of those shows that appealed to both boys and girls because it was about girls, but she was sort of like a, a tomboy who was also one you wanted to like, like kiss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It almost sounds like Ghost Rider. A little, oh, yeah. It had it is. essence of Ghost, Ghost yeah, Rider vibes. Yes. Yeah, Ghost Rider vibes. Uh, which was a lot of fun. I enjoyed I that Ghost show Rider. because that was on PBS. PBS. I can watch and it you upstairs. Can watch it on your TV. <laughs> oh my God, all of this is making sense now, Walton. Uh, <laughs> the Secret World of Alex Mack, which opened the doors for her over the few, uh, next few years to be on other Nick shows and the like, and was a teen star already when she got 10 things. Although Nick said, I auditioned for both Kat and Bianca pretty much up until the very end, and I really wanted Kat. I think I was so obsessed with wanting to prove to them that that's who I was, that by the time I'd get to the Bianca stuff, I'd be like, oh, yeah, whatever, sure. And I'm sure that's why it worked, because I was super relaxed about it, which is so true. You only get the stuff you don't give a fuck about. So yep. I got that Taco Bell commercial. That's how you do it. I just was like, I'm over this whole commercial audition thing. Bam, and you, that's get the it. you get it. There you go. And that that still is paying dividends. It's not. It was a digital-only release, and that's how they get you. Uh, <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt said, If I'm really honest, I didn't want to do a high school romantic comedy. I wanted to do Sundance movies. I'm very lucky that five years later I got to do that. The truth is, I was a naive or stuck-up 17-year-old. So that's why I'm hoping, which it does seem that like he came in snooty boots. Yeah. And he realized, like, Oh hey! Oh, this or is I could best. have fun. Yeah, and it, like I, you kind of see that transformation in the movie yes, a little bit. And yeah. I do wonder where it's like you know I know that not soon after it must have been he did movies like Brick and stuff like that. That I think that having a time of levity and reminding yourself that Joseph you're a Gordon levity. Yes. Like, oh wow. no! Yes. Although he, he did, did it. <laughs> <laughs> he did He did go on to play What's-His-Name in 500 Days of Summer, which is a movie that makes me nuts, but I still watch constantly. I enjoy that movie. That was one of those ones that I missed out on. And, uh, it's it, fun. It was, it's so Magical Pixie Girl, Zoe I Deschanel mean, That was what it was. I banged it's a lot so... of people that were obsessed with Zoe Deschanel uh-huh. in well, the movie. And I was like, no, 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 I'm just an alcoholic. That makes sense. You remind me so much of Zoe Deschanel. I know. Everyone's oh, it's like, you know, quirky, cute. <laughs> Boopie, boopie. <laughs> That's me. Well, and that that was one of those movies where when it first came out, he was supposed to be like the the protagonist, and then uh-huh. over time you realize, oh no, he sucked. Yeah. And like Joseph Gordon-Levitt has actually commented on that, being like, he was the wrong, he was wrong. <laughs> yeah, 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 he was yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is sure. the way in a lot of these movies, and I actually like that this is um, money, like bribery based, like the fact that he wasn't just like, no, no, no. I'm going to go after her whether she wants me to or not. Twilight? Uh, but uh. I, I, it is more of like, okay, well, not that it makes it, 
I get I think it does make it better because like well he's being bribed to do it uh-huh. and he's not just not taking no but right. we were raised in a situation like in in a, in a society where it made me want that I wanted someone that was like I don't care if you say no I lust right. for you regardless and um that's not okay no but we were told that it was like we were told what you want yeah we were told that that was the best option but if it's Heath Ledger I will say I never had that from Heath Ledger <laughs> right. I never had that oh my god the curls oh, oh we're not curls. Heath yet and you're gonna it's gonna make you cry at the end of the episode he's, he's, he's got such loose beautiful curls and Julia Stiles is stuck with that like Gel. furious tight ponytail <laughs> the whole time see She's but tight. that was that was the uh, time period though when you either crunch gelled your hair Oh, did or she you ever flat ironed it to death, which is what I did. Oh, did she crunch gel? I used to flat iron it and then flip it up at the ends. Ugh. So they're gonna have a little, little, little flip. Just a little <laughs> bit of a flip. So you could show you mostly business, but a little bit of flirt. <laughs> a little bit of flirt at eleven years old. Yeah. Born and raised in Los Angeles, Gordon Levitt was approached by an agent to do TV and commercials after performance as the scarecrow in a production of The Wizard of Oz at the very young age of four. That is young. He was appearing regularly and made-for-TV films by the age of six, but really got his career going on the sitcom Third Rock from the Sun, he did, which, which we named all of the characters seasons. from We named earlier. all the actors. A little bit earlier. We, did. <laughs> we didn't name the character. We named the we actors. We didn't talk about all of them. We didn't talk about all of them either. We didn't yeah, yeah. talk about um, Joseph Gordon. Uh, or, or I'm sorry. Uh, what's his name? Uh, so good. The man. It's uh, crazy. John, John, John. No, God damn it. What's that man's name? John Lithgow. John, John Lithgow. Lithgow. So oh, wonderful. Good. So he w- originally, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, went in <laughs> for David Crumholtz's role. In fact, he didn't want to be Cameron. He wanted to be Michael, David Crumholtz's role. This is and already so high school play, by the it, way. It really everybody is. wanted yeah. to be everybody, everybody else's, else's part. part. That was the same with Larissa <laughs> Olenek, who wanted to be Kat. Yeah. She wanted to be Kat. She That's didn't want so to be Bianca. fucking high school. She wanted kid. to be Kat. Yeah. And so you're coming into this already of like, man, I wish I could have been that. Which, if you, I know that that's not what they were intending to do. That is high school. It's like, man, yeah. I wish I had straight hair. No, I wish yeah. I had curly hair. Like, you mm-hmm. always want what other people have. I say that's what teenagers do. That's what human beings sure. do. Yeah. Sure. And that okay. is what social media is all and about. maybe that's yeah. why we're tapping into this being something more special than a lot of the other high school movies out or, or yeah, high school movies out there around this time. Like, even Can't Hardly Wait. Like, I'm sure we'll probably do I that movie at Can't some point. I Hardly Wait. And I do like uh, it, too, but that's very much like, is in it. But that's very much like caricatures of high school kids. Oh, yeah. I yes. think that 10 things, you think it's going to be like that, and then you get into it and you're like, oh, wow, these are like real high school kids. Yeah, like, There's I mean, like a definitely... dynamic here between the actors. Because yeah. then you realize you like, the, like the role of Bianca is not just like, oh, she's the popular girl that gets everything. It's like, no, she's also trying to deal with the trauma of her mother leaving and her sister changing and like not knowing why her sister changed. So she's just trying to be the perfect version yeah. of of what she could. And, and their dad is like constantly um, like sexually shaming them, which is <laughs> yes. weird. But it's because he's terrified yeah. that they're going to leave him. Like it's also then you think about that too, where it's like he doesn't want her to go to an East Coast school because he doesn't want her to leave him the way his fucking wife. I also did. absolutely. I also it's feel crazy. like they do a good job of the like popular. "Quote unquote perfect girl fucking up mm-hmm. and realizing her fuck up and like d- going back on it in a way that other movies don't do well that I totally remember from high school happening. You yes. know what I mean? And, yes. and it just made her more realistic as opposed to her just being like mean girl. You know, she's just that mean or, girl. Yeah. Andrew Keegan um like disses her at the party mm-hmm. and is she's straight up like 
no, I don't want to be with this guy. Yeah, I don't yeah. Be with like the guy that that's pretty, nice to me. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. pretty accurate. And like not just at the very end. About that. Right. That, that it actually happened, you know, halfway through the right. movie. Where right. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it did make them more well rounded characters. Well, actually, if we're going to get into that kind of structural thing, I'll also really quickly give a, a, a nice a nod to them not spending the entire third act on her realizing that he was set up to be with her and right. her being mad at him for an entire third I know, act I hate and that. him figuring out how to figure that out. I was so ready for that beat and I was like, I hate that they always do this and this is where it's going and then instead it was just this tiny little yeah. scene Flip. and like that was it essentially and we were really more dealing with this romantic relationship yeah. and, a, and that was really refreshing, honestly, like even for And also now. part of her story arc is her getting into like a college and not just... Yeah, being with her boyfriend. Yeah, again, the yes. college she wants to go into, and you know, and yeah, and and him having nothing to do with that. Yeah, he, there wasn't the studying together montage. Right. It's like whatever. I'm coming with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always in those stories. Like, uh, what's that? Uh, the one I love it. The one um, with John Cusack from the '80s. Oh, um, say anything. Say anything. I love say anything. But it's like I always just want to be like to the girl. No. Let oh, him stay home. Beautiful yeah. Ioni Sky. That's another Ioni one of those Sky, that I wanted to talk about a sexual awakening. Oh yeah. To oh, we both should definitely. Oh, both, 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 both of them. We've definitely mentioned like a few future episodes already, <laughs> already. in the works. Uh, so Julia Stiles said, "I remember thinking the screenplay was so cool, and I just loved the heart of Cat so much. I was dying to get the role." I had been reading The Taming of the Shrew in school, and it was the first time I had read a romantic comedy script that captured teenage angst in such a clever way. She grew up in NYC and started acting at 11 years old. I kind of love this because she definitely is like the East Coast one. You know, uh, I guess yeah. also what's his name, uh, Crumholtz. But like, she has this wow, like what are you saying? East Coast energy. I feel <laughs> she like did, she brings yeah. in, unlike you know, and the, and the West Coasters are very West Coast. Um, you know, just weaker all around, <laughs> <laughs> physically, mentally, just in every way weaker. And Julia huge... Julia Stiles was up against <laughs> Kate Hudson, Katie Holmes, and Eliza Dushku. And Kate Hudson all was very was very close to getting this. Role. I could see her in that part actually. But uh, Junger mm-hmm. went on to say most of the girls came into audition wearing sexy clothes. Mm-hmm. Julia came in wearing baggy pants and a t-shirt, hair up in a bun. She wasn't working the look how pretty I am angle. Mm-hmm. When she shook my hand and looked into my eyes, I was struck by a depth and maturity. This combined with her poise was formidable. Mm-hmm. And I and Junger went on to say the character of Cat, I just wanted to say to kids, it's okay to not change or adjust who you are to feel connected to everyone else. Basically, don't behave in a way to make other people like you. Mm-hmm. Behave in a way that's true to who you are. To be honest, I always thought of it as a female empowerment film. So when I met Julia, forget it. She was exactly who Kat was. Mm-hmm. Just the way she shook my hand. I was like, this isn't a girl. This is a young woman to be taken seriously. Her first film role was in 1996 in a romantic comedy called I Love You, I Love You Not, starring Claire Danes and Jude Law. But her breakout was as the lead in a film called Wicked, which apparently made her, quote, the darling of the 1998 Sundance Film Festival, end what quote. Is that? According to a prominent critic. I don't know. That sounds interesting. I don't yeah, know. I looked up like a poster for it. I was like, oh, like, maybe I remember that. I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't uh, pull the synopsis for this, but uh, yeah, it seems interesting. Uh, and now let's get to the sexy but also sad part. Oh. Heath Ledger. Gil Junger said, Heath walked in and and I thought to myself, if this guy can read, I'm going to cast him. <laughs> this guy can read. I just love it because I mean, I think he means just like read, read copy. well because yeah, that yeah. was what, it's like yeah. So if he can <laughs> read, it really was. Literate. 
it. It's because he's like looking for someone he needed to be. Uh, Junker said he needed to be masculine without trying to be masculine. He needed to be smart, but needed to be removed. He needed to be unbelievably charming. It's a very complicated role, sure. which is that's hard for a teen rom-com. And, yeah, and very rarely do they nail it with and, those actors in yeah. that part. And Junger said there was an energy to him, a sexuality that was palpable. When Heath was done literally with the first page, I said, okay, you can put down the script. You're doing great. I want to do a little improv with you. I just wanted to see how fast his mind would adapt comedically. After 35 seconds, I said, okay, fantastic. But I could tell he was nervous that he blew it because the audition was so quick. And I said, no, no, no. You're a very talented guy and I really appreciate you coming in. The instant the door closed I turned to the woman in the room and said ladies I, I have never wanted to sleep with a man but if I had to sleep with a man that would be the man please cast Guess him immediately, immediately. Uh, and he was a man at that point technically yeah. so he was it's okay 19 at the time so it's, okay. so it's fine but also again like he just and, and we'll see this again when they're talking about how close the the cast had become because Heath Ledger got there because this is his first American movie or first lead in American movie. Uh And they, he got there like five days after everyone had already become like super, super close friends, which you do when you're like stuck in an environment. There's a really funny quote about how they were like worried about him coming in and like messing everything up. Yeah. But even David Crumble said the second we all met him, we knew he was a gracious, cool man with a deeply empathetic heart and the greatest smile a dedicated actor capable of anything and he knew it he was the most confident actor i've ever met with no ego trip it's funny because i i now i feel like we've read so many interviews of people talking about heath ledger and it's like straight up they i feel like they always begin of like i'm not even just saying this because he's dead that is it's not just like oh we're glorifying him that is just who he was. Right. And that's such a beautiful thing to experience. Can you imagine that young, being around someone that's your age, that put together, and be like, I gotta fucking step up. My life is insane. Sure. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's really uh, wild, uh, not really completely on this topic, but uh, I was looking up his daughter because I forgot that he had a kid with Michelle Williams, and uh, she's essentially the age to play this these yeah. parts. Oh, wow. yeah, 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 she's old now. She's older now. Wow. Insane. Uh, Ledger grew up in Western Australia. His parents divorced when he was young, and his actress sister is who inspired him to get into stage acting, while his love of Gene Kelly inspired a love for dancing. He got his high school diploma early at the age of 16 so that he could go off and pursue acting, and his first work came via the Australian TV series Clowning Around as well as Sweat, while his first feature film role was in 1997 in the Australian film Black Rock before getting 10 Things. His performance was based on Richard Burton's portrayal of Petruchio in a film version of Taming the Shrew, but he, and I see this now after hearing this description, but he threw in, quote, a Jack Nicholson edge to him with his cheekiness and his smile. I completely yeah. see totally it. Totally see completely it. Completely see it. Uh, it just kills it with this. We'll have more on Heath later, and it is uh, a little gut-wrenching the way some of his castmates describe him since his passing, but we'll get there. I love Gil Junger also went on to say that he asked him to include little bits of his Aussie accent into yes. the role. So he, like, it wasn't that, which I now noticed because I was looking for it, that it's like, oh, is he going in and out of an Aussie accent? No, he wanted him to be as if he, like, like the idea of, okay, you moved here years ago, but so you still have kind of the accent, but you're going to assimilate a little right. bit, but you wouldn't want to. Yeah. So it's bringing that level of depth into, wow. uh, which... That's, again, a yeah. crazy direction to be given for 
or a teen rom-com sure. and he did it with the flying he colors. He did great and yeah and they do mention it in that he has the line where he says I moved from Australia when I was 10. Yes so, so it's like, like a half and half yeah, so he yeah. couldn't do full Aussie but not full American. We also mentioned some of these actors before but just shout outs to Larry Miller who plays Cat and Bianca's father I think he does a great job Andrew Keegan who plays the narcissistic aspiring model Joey and he started a cult uh, <laughs> also I do love Andrew Keegan uh, based his uh, character off of Marky Mark because nice. Marky Mark was a big deal back sense. then and he says but watching it now I realize I come off a little more Fabio yes a little bit <laughs> a little bit uh, David Crumholtz of course plays Michael the nerd who helps Cameron woo Bianca and his love interest Man- Mandela is played by Susan May Pratt a Shakespeare nerd center also, stage also I made this joke uh, or I didn't make this joke I was like it's always funny to me like I feel like the they they always cast like the nerd girl or whatever is always like the hottest girl. Oh in yeah. The, oh, like yeah. in this case at least, it's like oh she's supposed to be like the loser. The loser. Shakespeare oh, nerd. Yeah, the stunning like, model. So hot. Yes. Uh, yeah, she's beautiful. Gabrielle Union, who plays Bianca's best friend, Chastity. And a bitch. And a bitch. And a lava. Cheryl Mitchell, who plays Mr. Morgan, the English class teacher. The hero He's awesome. of the film. Yes. He's great. Is it? And lastly. Speaking a- of another hero of the film, Allison Janney. Thank you. I love. Kills I, it as the I high school Allison guidance Jane. counselor that's writing erotic fan fi- or erotic fiction on the so side. So yeah, funny. Not, that- I don't think this character would fly in modern uh, no. teen movies, but she's, she's great at it. Very and funny. also. Gil Junger was very big into allowing them to improvise and bring in their, whatever they wanted into their own characters. So a lot of what Alice and Janie said was improvised, and yes. that makes me love her even more. She's the including best. I love the, her like, so much. Yeah. Um, thing that she does with the mug and uh, she was just so she actually was asked in an interview and she completely forgot that she was in this ah. and I imagine if you've done as much as she has done I love that her you would just so forget much. it and I like insane but what about Bogie Lowenstein can we just talk about Bogie Lowenstein for a second because apparently the casting of Bogie Lowenstein was like such a thing they all were obsessed with Bogie Lowenstein on the set because he came in in the audition and was like the first person cast off the bat so this uh, comedian already had a character that was a bit of a uh, golf pro Izod wearing motherfucker. So he, he said quite a bit of the corniness and the cheesiness of Bogie Lowenstein came from this kind of lounge lizardy character that I created in my stand-up. I just walked into the 10 Things audition winking and pointing at the director like I was a game show host. I did this kind of cheesy laugh after each line. I do remember having to take a month of golf lessons. <laughs> I had a professional golfer That's teach nice. me how That's to chip though. for a month. Yeah. And he had I had to see him three days a week for that one shot. <laughs> and that's very that's Honestly, funny. that's actually just awesome. That's free golf lessons. I know. Yeah, I love right? any, any, any character you get free lessons. Yeah, of them. I'm just any, like, please. Learn yeah. anything. I'll learn whatever. I don't care. Well, either way, this, this crew was truly a tight-knit bunch. David Crumholtz said, on the very first night, the cast, some as young as 17, congregated at our hotel's restaurant for an inaugural kickoff dinner. By night's end, it was clear that this would be a transformative experience for all of us. I had only made a few films by that point and often found myself working with older actors, not ones of my generation. This was a chance to work with my peers, and as only Kismet would allow, I found myself getting along famously with my castmates. As you said, a ledger hadn't showed up just yet. Uh, Crumholt said we had only heard stories from the producer 
seducers about the disarming charisma of a handsome Aussie from Perth with an infectious smile who is busy completing his work on an Australian TV series called Roar. By the end of the week, week one, we had all established such strong friendships. We were worried about how someone named Heath could possibly manage to find his place in our inner circle. (laughs) This is a concern that remained a few days later when he uh, arrived and we found yet another comrade in sensibility. The group with Heath only got stronger. Uh, and yeah, this is another one from Krumholtz. Uh, before I knew what the cast was experiencing, what I've since found to be all too rare. A unified chemistry throughout the ensemble without a single bad apple in the bunch. The experience was communal. It sang like a well-tuned chorus, both off on screen and off. And we all agreed that we were having the best summer of I our which is, is so, I laughed to myself when I read that quote because I was like, I always make that joke, <laughs> and he's legitimately saying it in a real I way. I bet it fucking was. Like, I mean, I know the best summer of my life, probably, uh, sort of, from my child. At least that version of it, like that you scream, "This is the best summer of our lives." This is, I think, oh three summer. Here comes the goo part two. Wow, you remember uh, in it college. It was such a fun, easy summer. It was like I didn't have classes. I didn't have anything. I had this. I had this summer hookup. I had this awesome comedy show I was doing with all my friends. I woke up every day was a new adventure. It was the best. Yeah, but did Joseph Gordon-Levitt turn you on to fish? Because that's what happened I to David Crumble. The band? That Joseph Gordon-Levitt turned I David Crumble's on to fish, and David Crumble's turned Joseph Gordon-Levitt onto Wu-Tang. <laughs> and um, their little relationship and their little, like, so bro-ship fish. makes it just... Because you can see it on screen. They, they were obviously, like, laughing to each other, and then would just, like, shoot a scene. And yeah, it just, totally. Oh, my God. I want this... Film experience. I know I miss it. I, uh, I love I love some of these little moments we can cut out and talk about the drunken table dance. Styles hadn't ever been drunk before. She was just 17. I'd been drunk quite a bit before I was yeah, 17. Yeah, me too. Uh, I started drinking anything I was 15. Uh, so Ledger gave her tips on what being drunk looked and felt yeah, like. Yeah, I bet he gave her tips. Huh? All right. Junger was going to get a choreographer to oh work God. with Julia Styles. They should have, uh, now because they have like intimacy coaches and stuff, can, can I have drunk coaches? Because I'll do that. Ooh, inebriation yeah. coaches. Inebriation coach. And uh, yeah, that's the thing. And the coaches always has to be like hammered too on set to make sure that they're like being staying accurate. Junger was going to get a choreography to work with Julia Stiles. She was actually, uh, he was good friends with Paula Abdul actually. But Stiles just said, that's fine, but I can dance and do the whole thing herself. Stiles said, I would never have the guts to do that now. I'm glad somebody got that on film. I mean, I love dancing, but sort of provocatively on a table. I was pretty guileless at that point. That is very that. embarrassing. And very high school. Like very like, I can't believe I was like, I can dance. I can do and I'll that. Do it but it, it works for that scene. It does. She's she's awkward. She's goofy. Right. If, if she doesn't look Abdul, like a professional dancer yeah. when she's doing it. And it, also, she doesn't look like a professional dancer when she plays one later on in Save the Last Dance. Oh, right, please. I like uh, that about that movie I've never seen. Uh, <laughs> next, uh, Can't Take My Eyes Off You. Originally, oh. they had I Think I Love You as the song Ledger's character sings to Cat from the Bleachers during practice. This was changed to I Touch Myself, which would have been way Whoa. dumb. Yeah, super dumb. Different tone. Right? Yes. (laughs) However, Heath Ledger felt that wasn't romantic. Uh, Yeah, on any level, is that not romantic? Yeah, when I I masturbate to you. (laughs) He he is the one who chose the Frankie Valley classic, Can't Take My Eyes Off You. Of course he did, because he's perfect, and he also chose what he wore for it. (laughs) He chose what he wore for it, because... um, 
the even Kristen Smith had said he was so specific about what he wanted to wear. It had to be this certain type of dark shirt with a precise fit. Oddly, it's kind of a nondescript ensemble when you actually watch the movie, but seeing him architect the costume as part of his preparation was so impressive, especially because he was only 19. That that's because I think he was nervous about because he never acted silly before. That's just not in his nature so he needed to construct the costume and then he chose the song so that he could have more of a control over the situation and in fact he even the choreographer went in and he said the what impressed him the most is that he sang the song himself and he said the singing impressed me more than anything else because as a choreographer I can always find a way to make actors look amazing but singing that's something you can't fake and he was very nervous about singing the song too and it makes me love him even more but it worked again in that he didn't sound like an opera singer like he sounds like a a kid serenading a girl he likes and I think it's really charming and uh, I also love the the police chase which is cute now but now when I see that I'm like you can't they're gonna shoot you (laughs) Um, but then I like that he spanks the cop Junger said I said to to Heath just run around the steps when the guards start to chase you right after the first take the nurse on set ran up to one of the guards they were fearful he might have pushed himself almost to a heart attack Heath was running with such joy that it physically exhausted the guards that's so So cute cute. well also what's cute that poem at the end the emotions in that scene were not planned it just hit Styles in the moment Styles said it had been such an emotional role and such a wonderful experience that I was overjoyed and probably sad it was coming to an end but I also was just in a very raw place Junger said that quote basically the whole speech was one shot Styles said quote I remember Heath when they turn I love this quote when they turned around to do his reaction shot he said something like I don't need to do anything because this isn't about me a lot of times you get one actor crying in a scene and the other actor feels they have to cry like they have to cry and he knew to be sort of restrained I thought that was really cool I think yes. that's really cool as well I think that's really really a uh, brilliant comment on like acting and sharing a scene together Junger said I did everything I could to cover my mouth and nose because I was crying so hard. It was such an amazing performance. That take in the film is the first take. I think I jumped up and just hugged her for the longest time. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. It's very well done. Uh, Henry and I both couldn't help but notice watching this. If you were seeing this from the perspective of a teacher, watching a kid do this for class, you'd be like... Oh, Jesus Christ! Don't do this. <laughs> All right, Can you get a not? B. <laughs> Next, and <Can> you not. <laughs> And I also, I imagine what really affected a lot of not only the shooting, but the acting in this is that there were no sets used during the entire shoot. All of it. So this was supposed, this place, this high school 
was supposed to be just used for um, the exterior shots. And when they went to go check it out, that they, because like how Clueless also used a real high school, they realized that it did, if they wanted them to be grounded, that they should be shooting in the actual space. So they were in the middle of already building sets in LA mm. and they were like, wait, 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 wait. We want to shoot it, shoot it all up there. So everything at the last minute had wow. to be moving the shoot up to Seattle where the high school was shot because even like the scene between... Um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Larissa Olenek when they were talking about Cat in front of that beautiful artistic statue. That it's like those are just places that they found. That it's like you, we don't have to build anything. And that last, and that last shot, which we'll talk well, about. Well, yeah, my God, the roof. Yes. that shoot. school is crazy looking. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And that, oh my God, the, and where he was singing the "Can't Take My Eyes Off You." Yeah, football like stunning. Yeah, go fucking watch yeah, football. Why would you That's wanna, what I was looking so at. Why would you want to build a set if you have a location yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so the, everything had to be moved up there, like uh, like weeks before the shoot was supposed to take place. I think it was the good choice. Yeah. Also, yeah. the soundtrack's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a bit of a time capsule for music in 1999. You've got Save Ferris, Semisonic, Sister Hazel, The Cardigans, and uh, a little out of place, but very fun in the party scene, George Clinton's Atomic Dog. I Great. Really like it. Uh, but the band that is actually part of the movie in a few places is Letters to Cleo, which was totally like another one of those nostalgia blasts for me because my brother had one of their albums. I immediately put it on on Spotify <laughs> and just like w- was rocking out because I I super liked them younger and maybe and even huge, sparked yeah. my love of like female lead yeah. singers. Did you ever watch Josie and the Pussycats? Uh-huh. Because uh, kind of. That's all letters to Cleo's singing oh, cool. as well I as being on that. the soundtrack. So they were like the, what is that called? The ghost singer? Like yeah, a ghost yeah. writer? Awesome. Of singing all the um, music for it. That actually makes me want to watch it now because yeah. I really do like that yeah, band. Yeah, it's a good movie. They were, uh, the band was formed by guitarist Greg McKenna and singer Kay Hanley in 1990. Originally as Rebecca Lula, with members rotating in and out besides McKinnon and Hanley. The name was changed in 1994 to Letters to Cleo as a reference to Hanley's childhood pen pal, and they started to make a name for themselves in and around the Boston area. Their first big hit single, Here and Now, got exposure on the Melrose Place soundtrack. So they were always kind of in the Hollywood system in yeah. terms of their popularity. Uh, the album Wholesale Meats and Fish was on rotation on my brother's CD player, <laughs> and I really, really dug it when I was a kid. Uh, they did four songs for the film, including a cover of Cheap Tricks, I want you, want me. And Nick Lowe and Ian Gom's Cruel to be Kind. And then there's Gotta that. Gotta be cool to be kind. Oh, and then yeah, baby. Final rooftop shot with them. And it's such a great way to close out the film. It's so epic and fun. And totally unexpected. Uh, they, uh, Yeah, that's like a very frightening shot, actually. They're really on top of a curved so, roof. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Junger said, Disney said they loved the work I was doing but couldn't justify spending that much money for one shot. And then when the line producer the said helicopter, to me, it was like, what yeah. is it, like a half a million yes. dollars for every time for every now time you can just, took off. Now you can just do it by like drone and easily. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then when the line producer said to me, what did they say? I don't know what the hell it was, but some instinct in me said, they said yes, shoot it. So they had this helicopter for the shot and uh, Junger was aggressive with the direction on that, like having it sweeping low on them. Kay Hanley from Letters of Cleo said, 
We're all arranged on top of this postage stamp sized roof with chicken wire. The only thing protecting us from toppling to our deaths into the Puget Sound. The music starts playing and we start pretending we're in a music video. We hear the whir of a chopper right above us and then it dive bombs us. We did two takes. It was pretty much assumed that this shot wasn't going to work and Gil would never work in Hollywood again because he had just blown through half a million dollars doing this shot he was forbidden to do and it ended up being a pretty iconic scene. It's a great way to end (laughs) the movie. I mean, isn't it crazy now that shot could be done for a couple hundred dollars essentially? Crazy, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Absolutely Uh, insane. did you have any notes on who the other female singer was, the woman singer in this movie? Um, I thought it was Larissa Cleo the whole time. There's another uh, girl who's at the prom singing. I think that's all. Oh, no, no, no. She, that's Lurs, I think that's Kay Hanley. There's a blonde girl and a brunette. The brunette, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, you're right. At the beginning of the prom scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't I don't know. Her. Oh, okay. I was wondering if that was another uh I don't know. Yeah, that is weird. Singer. Yeah, she's totally she actually she does a good job too though in that. Man, uh, are we gonna talk about the prom hair for any of these people? <laughs> it was of the time period. We're not gonna talk about the hair, but we are gonna talk about the dresses. But I wanna that talk they about the hair. Wore. Um what would you like to say about the hair? <laughs> you wanna say something? You are more than welcome to say Sorry, something. Sorry, Jackie. <laughs> I would no, I don't. But the well, the only thing I would say is the uh, Julia Stiles hair is one of the worst of the uh, the the time period. And it's fitting for them, but again, it's that like brutal pulled back hair. Like you can see the roots of her hair being pulled out of her head, and then it's just in a like ponytail that just goes into like a of hair <laughs> yes. in the back. Oh, yeah, no. It's I was glad that she wasn't wearing those heinous flip-flops. Um, also, the the woman that you were asking about was the lead singer of Save Ferris, Monique Powell. Oh, that was, was oh, that's Save Ferris. Oh, like, as well, uh, with, along with Letters to Cleo. Thank gotcha. you, Jackie. Thank you. Very cool. Um, but I was going to talk about the costume designer, Kim Tillman, mm. who... Um, was trying desperately to make sure that the outfits worn in this were things that everyone would see in their high school, which as opposed to what happened with Clueless, which was, again, more of an over-the-top. So essentially, Kim Tillman said, Heath's character was moody and comes from somewhere else. So I wanted him to be a little bit different, and Joseph's was cool and understated as far as cats. She was artistic and a bit rebellious and kind of had to look a little bit like she didn't give a shit, but not all the way. She wore army pants and then Bianca was very feminine with the pink and always had on the perfect lip gloss and cute flippy hair. But a lot of how Kim Tillman designed all of the outfits was just by thrifting and going through New York and L.A. and piecing together. So, And a lot of this stuff, she also built and died from scratch. She said, I try to get them from somewhere and everywhere so it doesn't look like they they just went to Nordstrom. She also makes sure the costumes complement each other according to what's happening in the scene. If they're falling in love, it's going to be beautiful. Or if the two don't get along, it's going. the colors are going to be more discordant. Now, two of the film's most memorable looks were the girls' prom outfits, which were designed and made by Kim Tillman. Kat donned a slinky blue silk slip dress, while Bianca wore a pink satin crop top and matching tulle skirt. She says, I felt very strongly about those costumes being the culmination of the romances, that they should look like their true romantic selves. Back then, slip dresses were in vogue, and Julia looked so gorgeous. She did. She looks beautiful. She's beautiful. It was a perfect color for 
for her palette. And Bianca continuing with the pink. Julia could handle that kind of sophisticated sleek, and she was more of a dancer in real life and very graceful in her movements. And I thought that this was mm-hmm. a sophisticated, simple look for a girl who'd been wearing army pants. She's not going to wear a big puffy dress. Right. And then with Bianca, then you're going to have fun with layers and pink. She looked playful and sweet and just showed that tiny, tiny sliver of stomach. It wasn't too much. And it's fun and interesting because in that scene when she's talking to her father before she leaves for the prom, the dress wasn't done yet. And you can see that it was, she actually, Kim Tillman had to pin it all in the back to her. Wow. And you could see that it was like, oh, like too big. And then in the prom scene, it was fitted to her that's body fascinating better. because i always thought it looked ill-fitting on her in that scene it, so it wasn't finished is, no it's because it wasn't <laughs> finished yet so it was actually just that's funny to her body and then we have to talk about of course the sandals cat yes. sandals at the so we were time. talking we were talking before this and i just will say and it is so funny i have such a weird but i also think it was because of who those flops were attached to but i have such a weird irrational hatred for the this those platform exact platform flip flops from that yeah. time period i i, I mean they're back, by the way. Oh, they're, they're I, back. Guests so are the coming back. They clip. made me Speaking crazy. Oh hair. my god, I think the it was, fucking butterfly. I think it was also <laughs> because it was such an obvious attempt to to look taller, and it was just like, I see what you're doing. I mean, listen, I love a <laughs> platform. Hey, excuse me, Holden. I love a platform. I'm okay, not against a platform, the but there's flip-flop. something about it. It's yeah. the platform with the flip flop mixed with the cargo pants that yeah, makes yeah. my fucking I don't, teeth I don't understand why but it gives me a Crocs level reaction but go yeah I, I understand it's interesting that it was because uh, like at first I just thought I, I came up I was like director must have a foot fetish right because that's where our heads immediately I mean, go yeah, because but that's also she, she, her, she's barefoot in every scene it's weird it is it is weird but you're saying it's it's the flops made such a noise that it sort of spoke to the, the flops character. also they made <laughs> they, the flops made too much of a noise on set but part of the reason of why she was wearing these specific sandals that we saw everywhere at this time period is because it's remembering that Kat not that long ago was more of a Bianca type character before the trauma that she went through. So that was one of the last things like the vestiges of what she used to be being included in her wardrobe and then also yes the flops made um horrible noises when she she would have looked cooler in combat boots <laughs> she definitely would have looked cooler in combat boots so they're a flip-flop <laughs> with the bamboo bottom and kill tillman went on to say that i added rubber to make them a platform for a couple of reasons one they wouldn't last and two it just made it more comfortable and made so much less noise mm. than not having the rubber on the bottom gotcha. and uh for some reason, the film producers hated the flip-flops. <laughs> yeah. And Kim Tillman was adamant about keeping the flip-flops. So that's why it's even more funny that you bring it up because this was a weird, weird. bone of contention. Yeah, that's so funny. And she said the director supported us, but some studio people were so sick of those specific <laughs> shoes. Yeah, I don't know what that, what is that? I don't know why. Well, I hate them. Why said, they bring out the ire in me in every I don't know. People. She said it made sense to us, so we fought for it. And we did a few <laughs> others. You know, we put in Mary. Mary Jane's as well. Mary Jane's are great. I just, I don't like flip flops. I'm just going to say it on record. I do not care for flip flops. But it's something about the platform. It's something about making them, trying to make flip flops like 
fashionable. Makes me <laughs> I think mad. it's like to me. I think it's like, like just wear your flip flops and be flip floppy about it. Just wear your wear your floppy flip flops, but don't act like you can walk down. You know, some like the mall and I'm fancy today. And those flops, platforms to me like indicate a bit of like like sexual energy and a very you know like innocent way. Right. Flip flops are not sexy. Okay. Yeah. It's not unless you're Tarantino. They're not sexy. Hey, be comfy. And I will be canceled for this. I do not care. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I, I, looking back at it now, I do really appreciate that they have such a dressed down version of these kids. Uh I hated it at the time because I love, I still dress like I'm in Clueless. Um, (laughs) But I I think that it works really well. Yeah. Um, That they just look like kids in the movie. Although I will say that one scene where um, when she's sitting in that tire swing, she's dressed like she looks like a giant toddler in that scene. <laughs> you know, some of the nineties, you know, they really brought in that B remember the BBTs? I, I love a baby tee. <laughs> but you know what it was? It's what she's wearing like a, a shin length tall skirt and Mary Jane's and a pink sweater and she's sitting in a tire swing and she looks like a baby. (laughs) Baby girl needs to be kissed. And baby girl needs to release a movie. This film was released in March of 1999 (laughs) and it finished number two behind The Matrix because of course it was The Matrix. Gordon Levitt said, I feel like the sheer closeness that we all had that summer is a big part of why people like that movie because it wasn't fake. I spent all summer laughing with Crumholtz and slowly talking starting to talk like this is that quick. By the end of that summer, everybody talked like an old Jewish man from Queens because of Crumholtz. Crumholtz said, you know, people will say, I have a penis on my face, don't I? And I have to be like, hey, you got me. It's haunted me for the rest of my life. It's wonderful. <laughs> but he also him. said, uh, he also said, I suspect that it's that beautiful coalition of actors that audiences respond to most when watching 10 Things I Hate About You. This mutual respect and affection is why audiences indelibly link the film with independence and true romance. And I mean, not only does it speak towards like the actors, but I feel like too in the writing, I mean, they really made these characters like gel in a way that you just didn't get a lot. There was a much more realistic interpretation of how kids interact in a school, no matter what their clique is or their archetype is necessarily on the outset. Here's the sad parts. Let's get all sad now. Uh, I do love these quotes, though, about Heath Ledger. Crumholtz said, It always makes me swallow hard when I know that something something I say about Heath is going to be put out there. My clique was Heath and his lovely assistant and best friend, Trevor DiCarlo. I loved Heath. As I get older and as the movie takes on greater relevance with new audiences, it's harder to wrap my head around the idea that Heath passed on the way he did. I would have very much loved him to be a part of this article. I feel appreciated for his work in the film because he worked really hard on 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, couple more quotes. Gabrielle Union, Heath uh, had the ability to look at you and make you feel like Princess Diana. In a very crowded Hollywood landscape, he could make you feel special and seen. Oh. That's a pretty special gift, and I don't think it's talked about enough. It's And it's just, it's that, I like, the fact, it makes so much sense that he is an amazing actor because of that connection. That it's not just that he had the connection on a film set, but that he had an actual personal connection that you read time and time again of anyone talking about him that he made you feel like that he, uh, like, the kind of thing where, like, he knew everybody's name on set. That I mean, I'm sure he didn't on, you know, 
Dark Knight, but uh, but on this, <laughs> he, he he was he was connecting with other people in a way that was unheard of for someone that looked like that. Can you imagine yeah. if he looked you in the eyes and had a conversation and be like, oh, me? You want to talk to me? <laughs> you want to talk to me? You want to talk to me? You want to fucking talk to me? Um, I love yeah. him. He was he was he had such a wiseness about him that made him seem older, and it was it's. It Hard to wizard. believe he was only 28 that's when, why, when yeah. he passed away. And that's yeah. why you're like, you're like, um, hachi machi about Heath in this movie. And I don't think that's like necessarily gross because he just doesn't come off like a 19 year old. Thank you, Holden. Like he doesn't though. Like he comes off like he's like in his thirties in this movie. I mean, even Andrew Keegan says that when he talks about, it, he's like the way he sincerely delivered the talk when they're, when he's at the party was a memory that I have of Heath. Heath talk. He, his name is difficult to say. The way he sincerely delivered that talk when they were at the Bogey Lowenstein party was a memory that I have of Heath talking to me. It really reminds me of him just grabbing you by the shoulders and straight talking with you. I think in this film specifically, he was so much of himself. I don't want to say watching it breaks my heart, but it certainly makes you miss your dear friend, the really talented actor that he was and still is as he lives on in his films. Hell yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, I have one more quote, but I don't want to cry reading this quote. Here you go, Jaggy or Natalie. Here you go. It's a big one, but it's up top. Crumholtz quote up top. Toward the end of his life, I reunited with him at a time when we were both quite vulnerable and trying to recover from some stuff that was haunting us. I had an opportunity to tell Heath how much I loved him and to sort of try to help Heath. He had become so famous and his life had become so crazy that in that moment when I could have said something, I didn't, even though I thought it. It's a big regret I have. To fans, he's a movie star that died. To me, he was flesh and bone, soulful, sweet, and I knew for a fact he was in recovery prior to his death. He was trying to get healthy. I just want people to know that there was a suffering individual there who couldn't have been a lovelier human being. I prefer to remember Heath as a 20-year-old kid doing his first American lead with a big, giant Cheshire grin smile on his face, taking charge as the leader of the group like any good ensemble leader should. Man, before his time! Ugh. He died before his time. I'm not going to cry. Well, what probably did die when it was time uh was there the was, television yes, show there was a tv show that aired an yeah, yeah, abc family show. it made it 21 episodes uh, i will say um the junger pilot was directed by directed the pilot yeah. Yeah, yeah uh junger directed the pilot and carter covington created the show and he decided to make the show more about the two sisters he said i love the movie and i think a lot of people love the movie i know there can be a lot of backlash when you try to turn a hit movie into a television show but i always wanted to do a show about siblings i think the sibling dynamic is incredibly ripe for comedy Sure, 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 but not with this story. I think that there it had a lot it's to do with weird, other things. Yeah, you could write a sibling rivalry show that's not based on this. I think you would have done a great job. And actually, the sequel sounds interesting. It just doesn't sound like a 10 Things I Hate About You sequel. But back in 2012, Junger wrote and directed, uh, started directing a sequel called 10 Things I Hate About Life. Junger said, It is the story of two relatable, ordinary people with normal jobs and normal desires whose seemingly great lives have become unmanageable. Two people who go to the same place at the same time to end it. Their chance meeting is so awkward, so raw, and so funny, they postpone their intentions and go their separate ways. Which I think is like a really good idea for kind of a comically dark, romantic comedy, but... Uh, uh, it just doesn't sound like it's in things I hate about life sequel. Hey, Junger, why don't you just do this? Why don't you adapt a different Shakespeare play and make it a sequel w- using those same characters, but as adults? I don't know. Just a thought. 
Uh, but it actually started filming, uh, but the production shut down in 2013. And Evan Rachel Wood, who played the lead, was actually sued by producers for dropping out of it. But then she was like, that's not what happened. They just stopped production entirely. Seems like it's a very complicated legal well, issue. And also, he wanted, <laughs> yeah. like, Junger wanted Heath Ledger to be in the sequel. So after he'd finished the script, he called Steve Alexander and asked if Heath could give me a call so I could share this exciting project with him. He said Heath would not be taking work calls at all while he's filming Dark Knight because he's so far into the character that he can't get out of it mm. and he's having incredible trouble sleeping. The role shook him and he took it so seriously and so professionally and profoundly that he couldn't escape it. God, it gutted me because I knew it was a wasted life. I knew he wasn't playing with fire. I knew he wasn't that guy. And this is like on top of the fact that like he seems so much older than he was when. So Julia Stiles and Heath Ledger had a very, uh, you know, they were in a relationship during this, but not really. It seemed like they were just having fun and it was kept very loosely. So at the end of it, they had decided to go separate ways and he had left Julia Stiles a goodbye note for her to find. And she said, that uh, I forgot the beginning of the quote, but it's like dance like you've never heard music and love like you've never been hurt. It was so sweet. I cried. That was his goodbye note to me at the age of 20. <laughs> <laughs> like that's And I just this I can't even imagine watching this movie when a lot yeah. of them say they can't watch it again because of like it was such a great reminder and now it's a great reminder but in a very different way and i do love um i like this quote of why um uh, the, the question was to the two writers for the teens out there who haven't seen 10 things i hate about you why should they watch it and kristen says it's a gender balanced feminist comedy and romance that lovingly explores the battle of the sexes in a sweet way. The unexpected alliances in high school, odd pairings of people breaking free of their social groups to befriend each other and get a different perspective. It's still interesting. And then the other writer says, also, Kat is a character that doesn't give a fuck what people think about her. And we all need a little bit more of that. Hell yeah. Love it. All right. I think that does it. That's our episode. I on- actually only half cried. I know. I, I had to. I would have. I started to just as Natalie was reading it. So I'm glad I didn't try to read it myself because that would have been a disaster. Uh, but yeah, I uh, think this was a lot of fun, guys. And I really enjoyed like being forced to watch yet another movie that I totally missed out on from my younger years because. Girls stuff was for girls and boys stuff was for boys. And I think that's really stupid. How so, fucking yeah. hot is Heath Ledger in this movie, so though? So great. He's so, I guess. David yeah. Crumbles, though. Well, I'm coming for you. <laughs> he's just so charming I'm to me. I'm coming for him, for Mike. For you guys, y'all are getting all wet in your bean bags. But for me, it's much more so like, God, I, this is a guy that I was just like, even now I'm like, oh, I would totally be his little like sidekick kid who was always just like what are you doing next yeah huh? like oh, i would yeah. totally be magnetized to a person like that henry uh, was pointing out who he might be in the movie and i forget who he said Grumholz. right all like i could see only myself <laughs> oh, as yeah. being one of the girls at the skunk who when they pass just <laughs> glares at them glares at Heath Ledger. i feel like that was my they would have so typecast funny. me as that yeah yeah exactly <laughs> awesome thank you so much everybody for joining us if you'd like to support us further patreon.com forward slash Page seven podcast. Uh, also check me out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Uh, Friday nights I do a stream with Jackie. It's very fun. Yeah, Natalie. that's me, Natalie. Uh, you can check out my podcast on LPN called Someplace Underneath. If you want to hear some stories about missing women, me and Amber Nelson talk about it. And it's really horrible and upsetting, but we also make jokes. So 
Hell yeah! My name is Jackie Zabrowski. Follow me on uh, Instagram at Jack That Worm. And uh, I do like other things. You can come find me. I'll be around. I do things. All right! All right! Have a go in, everybody. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.